You're going to have that song stuck in your head the whole rest of the day. You're going to be trying to take a nap this afternoon. It's going to be like, rumor has it. So you're welcome uh, for that. Uh, what a week, everybody. Timberwolves got the first pick in the draft. I almost cried tears of joy. Yeah, go ahead and clap for that. That's really... My dad is in his mid-70s, and he said, I never thought I would live to see the day. So very special moment, very emotional around the Strand House for us this week. Uh, here at church, we are in a series, as you can see, called Rumor Has It. And so far, we've said that as a church, we're not out just to get big. What we really want is to see people's lives transformed by Christ. In fact, we would be happy if all the churches in the Twin Cities that taught God's word faithfully got bigger than ours. Because that would mean that more people's lives were being transformed by Christ. And then last week we said that we're not out just to get people's money. We won't want just something from you as much as we want something for you. We want ownership. Today's rumor is this. The church is all about the show. This church with the lights and the concert quality music and the side screens and the coffee shops is all about the show. Growing up as a kid, I never went hunting. My dad wasn't a hunter. None of my friends were hunters. And I was busy playing sports, and so I just never did it. In fact, I had never shot a gun in my life until one of the guys in our small group suggested that we all go to the gun range together. And maybe this goes without saying, since I had never shot a gun before, but I had never been to the gun range either. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to wear. That's really important, by the way. You have to look fashionable when you go to the gun range. But really, all I knew was that most of the guys were going to have camouflage on, and none of the guys were going to be wearing skinny jeans or scarves, okay? I knew those two things. But other than that, I wasn't sure where I should fit in the middle of that. I ended up wearing basketball shorts and a sweatshirt from American Eagle. I did not blend in very well. When we got there, it was like this secret society that I had never heard about before. There was guys tailgating off of the back of their truck in the parking lot. And when one guy reached down and began pouring some beer into his dog's water bowl, I started looking around for Jeff Foxworthy. I was like, what is going on right now? Now, it was a lot of fun. I had a great time uh, shooting at this thing. But I heard insider lingo that I had never heard before in my life. Bolt action, pump action, downrange, hot range, dry firing, just to name a few. No clue what any of those meant. A little bit later, I got put into a group with two women who were there with their boyfriends. And I don't think they had ever shot a gun in their life either. Because at one point, the woman right next to me, she finally got one of these clay pigeons. She loaded up her gun. And while we were waiting for the other people in line to shoot, she turned to me like this. And she said, did you see that? I just got one. I have like never shot a gun before. So, you know, like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I said, this is starting out like a really cool story, but could you please not point your loaded gun at me while you're telling it? I was paranoid. I was going to get my head blown off the whole night. Now, I, like I said, I've never been to the gun range before. I didn't know what to wear. I didn't know what to expect. There were rules that I didn't know, and there was insider lingo that I wasn't familiar with. The whole night, I felt like an outsider. That's how a lot of people feel when they come to church for the first time. We stand at certain times. We sit down at others. We sing. If you didn't grow up in choir, who does that? In front of other people, no less. In some churches, there are prayers to recite. 
I remember when I went to church for the very first time in my life, we all stood up and recited the Lord's Prayer. Problem was, I didn't know the Lord's Prayer. And so I would just say a few words, mumble some things, say a few words, just to pretend that I knew what I was doing. So I'd say, our Father, kingdom come, will be done, will be done, you know. I just felt like this outsider the whole time. Didn't know the thing. You see, not only did I not grow up hunting, I didn't grow up going to church either. And if you had asked me growing up at the time, I would have been fine with that. I thought, you know, I've got friends, I do pretty well in school, I played sports, my family loved me. What more else could you want in life? But then my freshman year of college, my grandma passed away. And it was the first time somebody really close to me had ever died before. And everybody kept telling me, oh, Grammy's in a better place, Grammy's in a better place. But at the time, I thought to myself, how do you know that? At that time in my life, I didn't know that, and so it shook me. I then went off to college, and for the first time in my life, was away from my family and friends, and I was lonely. I remember thinking to myself, what is my purpose in life? Is it just to find a girlfriend, get married, buy a house, pay off the mortgage, retire, and then die? Is that the sum of my whole existence here on earth? Right as I was thinking these things, I wandered into a church one night. And literally, I wandered in. I'd been studying over at the library, and I walked into this church. I was wearing uh, basketball shorts and a Wu-Tang Clan t-shirt. Wu-Tang Clan was a rap group I really liked back then. And apparently, I never dress appropriately for any situation <laughs> because I was immediately mortified to find that all of my friends had on khaki pants and collared shirts. But I'll just be honest with you, that church was not talking in a way that I could understand. There was all sorts of insider lingo that I wasn't familiar with. I didn't know the Apostles' Creed. I didn't know the significance of an altar. I didn't know who the Gentiles were or what a Pharisee did. I wasn't a Christian. So the beauty of the sacraments were lost on me. Here people say, oh, the beauty of the sacraments. I didn't know what a sacrament was, let alone if it was beautiful or not. And the pastor or priest was talking in a way that I could not understand. I tried. But I looked at him like I look at assembly directions from Ikea today. <laughs> what are you talking about? At least at Ikea, they've got those little pictures. It looks like a four-year-old drew it. This church didn't even have that. Today I want to talk about relevance, which simply means doing church in a way that connects with where people live. God's word, the Bible, I believe, is relevant to your life. And so it's our job as communicators to teach it in a way that people can understand and apply. Look what Paul says about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says this, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might reach them. All possible means. Paul's saying, I will use any tool, I will use any method. Everything that Paul did ran through this filter of, will this reach people for Christ? Paul had formerly been a Jewish religious leader who later became a Christian. And after he experienced the transformation from the old life to the new, his number one goal was to help other people do the same. Me too. As I mentioned, I didn't grow up going to church, and so my goal has always been to reach that 20-year-old guy who is just like me, not going to church, far from God, questions about life. I want that guy or that girl, whether they're 20 years old, 40, 60, or 80 years old, to come to our church and not find tradition or a religion, 
Not find a really cool show, but to find Christ. Look what Paul goes on to say in the next verse. He says, when I'm with the Jews, I become like one of them so I can bring them to Christ. When I'm with the Gentiles, that just means non-Jewish people, who do not have Jewish traditions, I try to fit in with them as much as I can so that I can gain their confidence and bring them to Christ. He says, when I'm with those who are weak, I share in their weaknesses so that I might bring them to Christ. My goal is to find common ground, he writes, with everyone I meet so that I might bring them to Christ. This would be like saying, I'm a Vikings fan, but I am willing to wear green and gold and put some Swiss cheese on my head if it would mean bringing some lowly Packer fan to faith in Christ. (laughs) Paul is saying here, I will do anything short of sinning. I will change anything. I will give up anything, what I eat, what I wear, how I speak, if it would mean bringing people to faith in Christ. Years ago, I worked at a church that was in a rural suburb, and one of our most effective ministries was a hunting and fishing ministry. Can you imagine having a hunting and fishing ministry at a church in Uptown? I mean, PETA would just crush you. There would be protests every single week, but where we were, it was the most effective ministry we had in reaching people for Christ. And that is the point of relevance. Relevance is looking at everything you do from the message to the music to the programs to your building and saying, will this reach people for Christ? In the culture in which God has placed us, in our town, in our city, will this reach people? Now, the word relevance has become kind of a buzzword, at least it has in church circles over the last decade or so, but very few people actually define what they mean by that word. For example, some people hate the word relevance. I was reading some blogs this week, and one person said that churches that try to be relevant are watering down the gospel. Another one said they're just trying to be cool. And still another one said it's just an overproduced, slick show. The lights, the fog machines, it's just an overproduced, slick show. Now, if that were true, I wouldn't want to have anything to do with relevance either. But here's the problem with that. The opposite of relevance is not less production. The opposite of relevance is irrelevance. The opposite of relevance is not fewer lights and a worse sound system. The opposite of relevance is irrelevance. On the other end of the spectrum are people who go overboard in their desire to be relevant. They are willing to sacrifice anything on its altar. For example, I was talking to a guy a few years ago. And he tried to convince me that we should just give up this idea that Jesus was God. He said, that's not relevant anymore. In our postmodern, pluralistic culture in which we live, he said, that's too exclusive. It's too intolerant of other religions. So for the sake of relevance, we should just ditch this idea that Jesus was God. Well, that's what it means to be relevant, and you can count me out on that one as well. But is that what it means to be relevant? I don't think it does. In fact, to help us define what this word relevance means... I want to take you to prayer that Jesus prayed at the end of his life. It's found in John chapter 17, and it gives us kind of a glimpse into what Jesus cared about as he was leaving this earth. He is praying this to God the Father in heaven. He says this, I have given them, he's talking about his disciples, his followers, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Let's pause here for a moment. Jesus says that his followers are not to be of this world. 
What he means is we are not to live like the rest of the world lives. So if the rest of the world says, you just go spend whatever you want on yourself, go into debt, it doesn't matter. We say, no, 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 I want to steward the money that God has given me well. If the world says, well, they wronged you, you should get back at them and get revenge, we say, no, no, I'm going to love my enemies. If the world says, sleep around before you get married, get trashed when you turn 21 or at your bachelor party, we would say, no, no, I'm not going to live like the rest of the world lives. Some of us need to hear that today. God has set you apart. He has called you to a holy kind of life. Stop living like the rest of the world is living. Jesus goes on to say this in the next verse. He says, my prayer is not that you would take them, my followers, out of the world. Well, that's interesting. That means that my goal isn't to build a bunker, store up some canned goods, and wait for the rapture, right? Jesus isn't taking us out of this world. Next verse says this. As you sent me, Jesus says, into the world, I have sent them, my followers, into the world. Jesus was sent. He was on a mission. What was his mission? Well, he tells us in Luke 19, he says, I came to seek and save the lost. That is why Jesus was sent. That was his mission, and that's why we are being sent as well. To be relevant then means that we are not of this world. It's not watering down the gospel or twisting the message of Christ to fit the cultural climate of the day. But it does mean that we are sent into this world. Not to be like it, but to reach it. Not to become like them, but to help them become like Christ. This is the kind of church that we strive to be. We strive to be a church that is biblically faithful and culturally relevant. So let me give you three reasons why we value relevance as a church. The first one is this. We value relevance because it's better than irrelevance. Wouldn't you agree with that? Why would a church not want to be relevant? What's the alternative to that? Irrelevance? Who wants to go to a church on the weekend that has no impact on the rest of their week? I I wouldn't want that. This past March, our family drove down to Charleston, South Carolina, And Charleston is a historic city, and so early on Sunday morning, we drove over to the historical district. We walked on cobblestone streets. We saw a house that was built in the 17th century. It was painted pink. They called it the Pink House. Very creative with their titles down south, they are. We went past a cemetery that had the remains of several men who had signed the Declaration of Independence. We also passed several churches. One of them was holding services right as we went by. You could tell they didn't have any central air because the doors were open, the windows were open to let the cool air in. I could hear a soloist singing horribly off-key to an organ that was completely out of tune. Just out of curiosity, I peeked my head inside and I counted about a dozen people in this room. None of them were under the age of 55. Just an hour earlier, we had been leaving our resort And we passed tennis courts and golf courses that were packed, mostly with men under the age of 55. And at the time, I thought to myself, why aren't these guys going to church this morning? But now as I stood here and I looked at this church, I had this thought. I thought it would be next to impossible for me to convince one of those men who wasn't already a Christian that it would be better for them to be in this church this morning than it would be to be on the golf course. Because everything about this church screamed irrelevant. The name of the church, 
the condition of the building, what the sign on the outside said, the music style, what people were wearing, all of it. Here is the sad truth. If the church context is bad, if it looks bad, smells bad, sounds bad, and is just plain bad, the message of Christ can get lost. In fact, we'll have people who will come to Eaglebrook. They'll put their faith in Christ for the first time. They'll start growing and maturing in their faith. And then all of a sudden, one day, they look around and they go, why, why do we have all this? Why do we have coffee shops and lights and all this kind of stuff? We don't need any of that. And I always think to myself, you're right. As a follower of Christ, I would worship God in a smelly, moldy basement. I don't care. But it would be hard for me to convince the parents on my son's basketball team to come to our church and then say, oh, and, and by the way, we worship and meet in a smelly, moldy basement. I mean, good luck getting them to want to come to that. Don't forget that what you may find unnecessary today, or even a turnoff today, was what brought you years ago. It was what brought you to this church. And that's at this point that I need to make a critical distinction. There is a difference between model and mission. The mission of our church doesn't change. We get that from Jesus Christ. The theology and beliefs of our church, that doesn't change. We get that from the Bible. But the model of church, that should change. Look what pastor and author Andy Stanley has to say about this. He says, when a church fails to distinguish between its current model and the mission to which it's been called, it will mistakenly fossilize the model. That church will soon die. Let me ask you, are you committed to a model of church or to the mission? For example, we currently do music that would be characterized in the genre of rock music or pop music. And the reason why we do that is because about 80% of the music that you hear on the radio is rock or pop. But guess what? Rock music isn't the mission. It's a model. It will change. And when it does, there will be some people who will be so upset. They will be pining for the good old days when we used to have electric guitars and drums in church. They'll say, no, that was really church back then. Here is the people that I so appreciate in this church. It's the people who don't like the music that much. They personally would prefer a different style of music, but they have set aside their own personal preferences for the sake of the mission. They love being in a church that's reaching people for Christ. They love being in a church that's filled with young families. They love being in a church where they can invite their neighbors and their friends and their kids and their grandkids to come to church with them. And so they set aside their own personal preferences for the sake of the mission. It's about the mission. It's not about the model. In fact, we don't do a coffee shop because we're trying to be cool. We do it because people in our culture like coffee. And it makes a new person feel welcome. We don't do a secular song as an opener or a special. Which, by the way, we would never do that in worship. But if we ever did it as a special or as an opener, we don't do that because we're trying to be showy. We do it because a new person walks into church and goes, hey, I think I know this song. And they feel a little bit more comfortable. And frankly, sometimes a so-called secular song lyrically fits the message that weekend better than any other song we can find. We don't do bold music because we want it to be a concert. We've gotten some criticism over the years for our music being too loud. And honestly, there are times when they've been right. 
It has been too loud. Or the mix is off, and so it sounds harsh on your ears, and it sounds a lot harsher, or a lot louder, rather, than it really is. And we apologize for that. We're always working on that, trying to make it better. But we have some of the best audio engineers in the Twin Cities who work at this church. But people will ask us, they'll say, why do you have the music so loud? And the reason is because we want people to be surrounded by and invited into the experience. We don't want worship to feel like something going on up there on the stage. It's not about the show. It's about a surround sound-like feel that invites you to participate. And here's what we found. We have found that people that don't have a good voice, and there's quite a few of you here who fit that category, myself included, okay, myself included. But people who don't have a good voice or people who are brand new to our church, what we found is this. When they feel like their neighbor can hear them singing, they stop singing. They feel self-conscious in that moment. And so we want it a little bit louder so that people feel comfortable and free to sing out. Worship is not about harmonizing with your neighbor. Worship is about all of us pouring out our hearts to God. In fact, I was reading through Revelation chapter 4 recently, and it describes this scene of worship in heaven. And there's flashes of lightning and claps of thunder. There's blaring trumpets and choirs of singing angels. There's lights brilliantly flashing everywhere. In other words, apparently worship in heaven includes color, lights, and loud sounds. I actually can't think of one biblical example where worship in heaven was quiet. Now, before I leave this point, I want you to know that later on that morning, we did attend a different church in Charleston. And the moment that we walked into the lobby, they had Beastie Boys playing. Which, as a child of the 90s who liked the Beastie Boys, I was immediately intrigued by this. I then went to check my kids in, and everybody was wearing these faded Jabose jeans tucked into their Nike Air Jordan high tops. And I must have been staring because the woman who was doing the check-in said, oh, I need to tell you, we're in a series right now called I Love the 90s. <laughs> I said, thank you for telling me. I thought you were all these weird, trendy hipsters or something at this church. Now, maybe you hated the 90s. Maybe you wanted to dance with somebody like Whitney Houston and nobody would ever dance with you. And that just really hurt you. Or maybe you wanted somebody to call you Big Papa like they did for the Notorious B.I.G., and no one ever called you Big Papa, and you just were offended by that. But apparently people in Charleston really liked the 90s because this church was packed with young people who weren't on the tennis court or at the golf course, but they were in church to hear a message not about the 90s, but about Jesus Christ. Relevance is better than irrelevance. Here's the second reason why we value relevance. It's this. The truth is relevant. Buildings change. Architecture changes. Music styles change. What people wear changes. The truth, that doesn't change. In fact, there are lots of great churches in the Twin Cities and around our country, but I'll just be honest, I am befuddled by churches that won't change their building style or their music style. They hold on to that really tightly. But then when it comes to the historical accuracy of the Bible or the divinity of Christ, they're like, oh, I don't know, that's up in the air. We might want to rethink that. I mean, the world is changing today. I just don't get that at all. 
Look what the Bible says about this in Hebrews chapter 13. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He's the same today as he was yesterday. He'll be the same tomorrow. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the author of Hebrews writes, do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Some people today are attracted by new theological ideas. They're attracted to new spiritual ideas and practices. I'll even hear some Christians today and they'll say, oh man, I've never heard that before. And half the time when I hear that, I think to myself, there's a reason why you've never heard that before. It's because it's not true. That person who was teaching just twisted the Bible to fit what they wanted it to say, to fit with the cultural climate of the day. Be very leery of strange new ideas. But see, here's what we know, and we know this is true. Buildings, music, videos, and coffee shops do not set people free. That's not why people come to our church. Jesus says this. He says what? The truth will set you free. The truth about Jesus Christ is the most relevant thing in this church. It's the most relevant thing in any church. Jesus goes on and he says this. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. His words his truth will always be the most relevant thing on earth. Which is why as a church we are committed to speaking the truth, confronting sin, and standing on the authority of God's word. So I think people today are sick of being marketed to. If you look at a young person's life who grows up in this culture today, they have been advertised to their entire life. And I am so grateful for the young people who go, you know what, just show me Show me, convict me, challenge me, but whatever you do, don't withhold the truth from me. Don't twist it around just to fit the popular culture of our day. At the very end of the day, what matters is what is true. But notice how Jesus communicated truth. Look what it says in Matthew 13. It says this, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables or stories. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. Sometimes you'll hear people lament that at their church or at our church, the teaching isn't deep enough. And usually when you dig deeper into that complaint, what you find is an assumption that if you're using stories and humor, then the message isn't deep enough. But the Bible says that Jesus never spoke without telling stories or parables. Jesus talked about mustard seeds he talked about farmers' fields, rocky soil, prodigal sons, lost sheep. He talked about good fruit and bad fruit, salt and light. Jesus used everyday examples to illustrate biblical truths. I love this quote by Haddon Robinson. He's a professor of preaching and teaching. He says this, Just because it's muddy doesn't mean that it's deep. Just because you use words like eschatology or sola scriptura, that doesn't make it deep just makes it muddy for about 90% of the people who are listening. As a church, we are committed to taking deep biblical content, but teaching it in a way that everyday people can understand and apply to their life. Now, that doesn't mean that our church is only for seekers and non-believers. We are not a seeker church. We are trying to reach believers and help them grow in Christ and reach non-believers as well. In fact, I have a good friend who comes to this church and he's brilliant. I mean, he reads like crazy. He's always sending me these articles that he wants me to read. 
And he's a strong Christian. I mean, he's been following Christ for years. He comes here every weekend being worn down from a long week at work. He doesn't need cliches. He doesn't need motivational quotes. He can get that kind of thing on Twitter. What he needs to know is what God says. He needs to know that our pastors are in the word of God, praying, studying, and trying to help him relate that to his life. The truth is relevant for everyone, which leads to the third reason why we value relevance. We value it because church isn't just for church people. The Apostle John was one of Jesus' closest followers and friends, and he was an eyewitness to the resurrection. Look at what he writes about Jesus. He says, The Word, that's Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, and then get this, full of grace and truth. I love that. Full of grace and truth. Not striking a balance between, but the full embodiment of each. Jesus didn't come to balance out truth and grace. He came to bring a full measure of both. And if you were to ask me one characteristic that defines this church, I would say it's this. We strive to be full of truth. We unapologetically teach the word of God. But at the same time, we want to be full of grace. We want any single person, no matter who they are or what they have done, to be extended grace and to be invited to partake in a relationship with Christ. My wife met a woman at Aldi named Tasha a few years ago. And don't confuse this with a story I told a couple months ago where my wife met a woman at Target. This is different. This was at Aldi, okay? <laughs> Clearly, we need to get out more and find new places to make friends. That's obvious. But she met this woman named Tasha at Aldi and found out that her son Alex was the same age as our oldest son. And they ended up playing on a soccer team together. And one day, Sarah said to Tasha, she said, hey, could, could we bring Alex to church with us tomorrow? It was as simple as that. And Tasha's like, yeah, that, that would be great. Well, Tasha picked up Alex later on, and Alex said, Mom, I love this church. Will you please take me next weekend? And Tasha said, what mom could refuse that request from her 10-year-old son? And so the next weekend, she brought Alex to church, and she sat here herself. And after the music got done, she turned to my wife and she said, that was amazing. She said, do they have a CD or anything that I can buy? She started coming regularly, put her faith in Christ Christmas of 2013. And then just this past winter, her and her son Alex were baptized together at Arlina Lakes campus. This is a woman. Yeah, go ahead. This is a woman who is a single mom, working full-time, going to school full-time, trying to take care of her house and raise her son as best as she can. And yet she's already invited another woman to church who comes regularly, and God is using her life. I was talking to Tasha about this, and she said, you know, growing up, I went to church Christmas and Easter. That was about it. Then as an adult, I tried to go more often, but I was still kind of sporadic. She said, these days, if we ever miss church... Alex is so bummed out, and I will hear about it from him. Isn't that amazing? But notice what reached her in the first place. It was an incredible kids' ministry. We have one of the best kids' ministries in the country. And you might wonder, why do you got the Papa Shop basketball and the video games and the hockey games? Because we want kids to come to church and go, this is awesome. I want to come back to this place. 
And then we want to teach them about Jesus and about the Bible in a way that they can actually understand and apply to their life as a kid. And then notice that it was the music. Music that was so excellent that she said, you know, I would listen to this even if I wasn't in church. It was a relevant environment. And then after that, she put her faith in Christ and was baptized. Friends, this is why we value relevance. Because it's better than irrelevance. The truth is relevant. And church isn't just for church people. It's for all of us. In fact, next weekend, we are beginning a brand new series on the book of Ecclesiastes from the Old Testament. And I told somebody this week, I said, you know, this might end up being our best series of the year. I can't remember if I've ever said that before this year, but I truly believe it. If you are a believer in Christ, the book of Ecclesiastes is going to speak right into your spirit. You don't want to miss this. And if you have a friend in your life who is searching, and they're trying to fill their life up with this pleasure and that pleasure and this pleasure, but they still find themselves empty, and nothing really seems to fill that void, you want to invite them to church next weekend. This will be the best message of the year for them to hear if they're in that kind of situation. If you have a family member like that, a friend, a coworker, or a neighbor, do anything you can to get them to church. Buy them dinner, buy them lunch. If they're a Packer fan, put on the green and gold. Just get them here to church next weekend to hear that message. All right, that's next weekend. With that, let's all stand together as we close today. Lord, I pray for our church and for every person here that we would be full of truth, that we wouldn't take an opinion poll to decide what we believe, but that we would follow you and trust you and stand on the authority of who Jesus is and what your word says. And God, at the same time, I pray that we would be full of grace, that we would be a church that is so full of grace that no matter where, where people have been or who they are or what they have done, they would come and they would know that they can have a relationship with you. God, I pray for every believer in Christ who is here today. God, I pray that you would strengthen them, mature them, and help them see the mission is what it's all about. It's not about any one of us individually. It's about the mission that you have for this church. Get us fired up about that again this week. And God, for the people who are here who still have questions and they're not sure and they're just checking it out, God, continue to pursue them. Continue to pursue them so they know that you want a relationship with them and that you love them, God. And Lord, I pray for those people in our life that we know who are just searching and searching and searching but still are empty, that they would come next weekend and that they would hear a message about the one thing that truly will fulfill us in our life. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.